Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a company dedicated to helping all businesses with their people-related decisions. They do that by giving clients access to the best human capital, due diligence, and background checks available on prospective candidates, business partners, tenants, and more. To learn more, simply visit www.peopleg2.com. Today, we're privileged to have with us the founder and president of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, Chris. Hey, welcome. My name is Chris Dyer, and uh, it must be Tuesday because we're here doing Talent Talk for joining me. Great uh, two guests here today that are uh, getting ready to come on the show, and we've got uh, just a really fantastic lineup here for the rest of the year and even beginning uh, to go out uh, throughout 2016. So. The Talent Talk radio show uh, features a wide range of guests who care about talent management, leadership development, and, of course, uh, company culture. Uh, In the business world, talent has those couple different meanings that we'd like to talk about. First, how it relates to success and how really talented people achieve that success. And the second is how talent relates to uh, human resources and how HR leaders find the best candidates for their companies. So this show really looks to explore those two areas and you know, how uh, talented individuals can impact a company's culture, uh, always something that I'm fascinated about. So the guests uh, we have on the show typically are CEOs, uh, senior HR execs, entrepreneurs, coaches, authors, uh, just, you know, just about any business leader out there from, you know, any industry you can think of that has something to contribute to this topic. So I uh, usually run into my guests at networking events or conferences or just somewhere in common when I had the privilege of meeting them and finding out more about them. And I created this forum to allow you to listen in on our dialogue and hopefully learn some uh, practical advice that will help you cultivate talent, develop leaders, manage culture, and uh, you know impact your own career in a positive way, which is really why we're here today. Hopefully you can write down something that you'll go back uh, after lunch here or back to the office tomorrow, whatever it may be, and and uh, and put into place. So I want to thank those of you who are tuning in live every Tuesday. If you have a question for one of my guests, you can submit them uh, via Twitter by tweeting your questions to at PeopleG2. You can use that hashtag talent talk. Uh, my producer, Mike, can feed me the best questions and we try to work them in the show as time allows. Uh, and don't forget, you can uh, listen to all the past episodes of, of Talent Talk um, on a couple different ways. You can go on your iTunes, you can go on your Apple device and look up the podcast app, and then within there type in Talent Talk. From that part, we've already amassed a really large following. I think as of today, we had a, just about 235,000 people that have been downloading uh, shows uh, this last week. Uh, thank you to all those listeners uh, for both the live and the uh, podcast. But we also have the other way, which is uh, we're now syndicated with iHeartRadio. So you can go onto the iHeart app and you can get the past episodes there. And that is on any device, uh, any browser, any computer, anywhere in the world. Just You can go to iHeartRadio and, and do that there. So now we have all the business out of the way. Let's uh, go ahead and get today's show started. My uh, first guest will be uh, Thomas Dowd. He's the founder of the Thomas Dowd uh, Professional Development and Coaching. And then we'll have um, Janet uh, Pfeiffer, the president and CEO of Pfeiffer Power Seminars, as well as a uh, globally syndicated radio host herself. So uh, I look forward to speaking with Janet on the second half of the show. But let's go ahead and get to our first guest. Uh, Thomas, welcome to the show. Chris, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, so tell everyone a little bit about yourself and what you're currently doing uh, as a coach. Yeah, I've been in the financial industry and customer service industry for about 25 years. I'm a speaker, author, trainer, and coach. I'm the author of five books, uh, all of which have been written since 2011. And they range from learning to thrive in a professional world to public speaking to time management and how to find a job. For anyone interested in looking to, looking to find them, they can find them on Amazon under my name, Thomas B. Gow the Third, and I actually have a promotion on the time management ebook, which is for ninety nine cents right now, uh, depending on when your listeners hear this. Uh, and also, the books are five ninety nine. But in the coaching range, in the coaching, I, I dedicate most of my time with my clients on resume writing on interviewing and on public speaking seem to be the most popular topics that I teach. Well, I know one of the topics you speak on and work with others on is, uh, besides from that, is professional de- development and networking. So maybe we can start there. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of networking and why some people are really afraid or nervous about that? 
Yeah, and I've seen this stat many times. When people are looking for a job, about 80 to 85% of all of the hires are based off of who you know. So think of this the same way if you're not looking for a job as looking for success or looking as an entrepreneur for the next job or the next lead or a promotion if you're working for a large company. Right or wrong, people gravitate to people they know. And your success is almost dependent on it because it's about giving yourself an opportunity. And you do that by spreading yourself out and letting your network do the work for you. So I was with a company that was about 28,000 people. We were acquired and returned overnight into almost 300,000 people. And I was instantly lost. And I was fortunate enough to have a new manager with a new company who shared with me the importance of networking. And it's a very simple story. She said, I was sitting around the table. There were 15 people there. How many of them do you know? And a lot of them had been from my former company. So I said, oh, I, I know about 12 of them. And she said, oh, how many of these 12 could you pick up the phone and call and they would know about you and you would know about them? And I said, well, maybe three. And she said, do the math. You're leaving about 12 people sitting around that table to make you the decision on your future and they know nothing about you. And she simply said, you have some work to do. And so we're afraid a lot of times because we often have this feeling of awe or fear of senior leaders. And guess what? They're the ones who are making the decisions about our future. They're the ones who are going to decide to buy our product or decide to hire us. And we're not sure how to start. And I decided to just dive in, and I make it very simple. Once a month since 2008, I've met with someone I don't know. And I start, I start and recommend people, you know, go to HR, go to people who are responsible for talent planning, people who have this broad vision of the organization, not having blinders on. And over time, I migrated to leaders who were two levels above me because the reason was to push myself further outside of my comfort zone to gain confidence in having these types of conversations and to speak to the ones who are making the decisions. And People a level above, it's interesting. We say, okay, I'm going to network and I'm going to meet with my manager or my manager's manager or I'm going to talk to a peer's person who manages my peer. If you're only going up one level, it's what I like to call doing your job because you're really putting yourself into a position of a conflict because you're probably going to compete against that person if you're interested in getting that job. Or they may not react the right way, and they don't, they're not in a position where they can make a decision for you or help you. So think in terms of, of people that are in a, a higher level of decision-making. It doesn't mean you run at a CEO all the time, but it means get yourself into that uncomfortable situation. It will help you gain your confidence. You know, I the third person I ever met with, and this is a, a defining moment for me with networking, is we spent about a half hour together, and he, he was fascinating. He was talking about fraud going on in banks, and at the end of it, I, I thanked him profusely, and he told me to stop. And he said, thank you. He said, first of all, I wouldn't have accepted this appointment if I didn't want to meet with you. And second, you have to realize people love talking about their business. I'm just a person. And from that point forward, it became easy because I simply wanted to meet with people and figure out what was going on in their world, and I stopped thinking about titles and thinking about roles. And it gave me an awful lot of confidence that day. And what I would teach people when it comes to networking is just start doing it. Make it a routine. Make it a habit. And the last question you should always ask when you're networking is, who else should I meet with? And you do that three times, and you meet with someone once a month, you're, you're, you have enough names that will go on for the rest of the year, and it'll just keep paying forward for yourself. And what you're really talking about here is this sort of ongoing, I might even call it soft networking. I think people will think about maybe if they've lost their job or they've decided to leave. Now, all of a sudden, they're at every meeting and every event they can get their hands on, but they're really walking in with a lot of baggage, which is, I need a job, help me find it. And what you're talking about is sort of building up a softer network of, of people you get to know when you're not in need. And so you can have a deeper conversation, you can uh, go different places with that, and then later on, if you do have a need, you can call upon them. You have a built-in relationship or some starting point, at least, 
for that conversation to begin with, as opposed to, hi, I'm desperate, I'm here at this networking event, give me a job, right? Yeah, I mean, we're talking about loyalty here. We're talking about building a real, true, genuine relationship. And I I always laugh when people talk about these network situations, and they say, bring a pile of business cards. And if, if that's the type of networking we're talking about, it's really not for me. I'm talking about genuine relationships. In fact, I just posted a, a recent blog on if you're job seeking, stop and start networking. If your primary goal is to get a new job and you're saying, hey, can you help me? You put yourself into a desperate defensive mode. But even if you are looking for a job, if you start the conversation by saying, I'm fascinated with your business, I want to know who you are, and it's no longer about you and it's about them, mm-hmm. it turns into a very productive conversation, and that's where true relationships start to get built. Yeah, absolutely. And certainly when you're you're having these discussions, you know, you need to communicate effectively. And one of the things you note is that there's a difference between putting your message out there and being heard. And so what is the difference? And maybe how can people ensure they're communicating and, and being heard rather than just making noise? Uh, stop talking would, would probably be the key to it. Most of us think that it's the talking piece. But have you ever listened to a person in a business meeting or on a conference call who is the one who asks all the questions. They're the one who are trying to dominate the meeting, dominate the call. And when your internal reaction is, oh, here we go again, you've just labeled that person as being, I need to be heard, I need to be seen. Mm-hmm. That's not the one who's being heard. They're being annoying probably, but they're not being heard. I teach people to be what I like to call selective communicators. So when they talk, people stop and they listen. And you only get that way as a selective communicator when you're 100% engaged. Stop multitasking. It doesn't work. Be a good listener. Be selfless. Be it's not in it for me. Be the one who says what's in it for you. What can I do to help you? And they're the ones in business who are genuinely finding solutions that are good for the business. They're looking to build people up. They're not off seeking credit. They're seeking solutions. And credit ends up coming their way because of results. And mm-hmm. so communication isn't all about talking. It's about being the good listener, facilitating a good, productive conversation, asking questions, being prepared ahead of time. And I think uh, that gets underestimated sometimes when it comes to communication. But come prepared with information. Keep a meeting moving so it's not dragging, it's not getting derailed. And you'll find the best communicators are, the, are think of them like a referee on a field. You barely see them sometimes, but they're the ones who get remembered because things got done around them. Well, and it really you know, it feels like in the business world and global marketplace, the communication is so key, yet we do see companies struggling with it. it. Sometimes it's their marketing, their message to customers. Very often it's communication internally, within teams, within groups, within divisions. So why do you feel that some businesses really are struggling with that you know, effective communication style? Yeah, and there, there's a lot of assumptions that can be made here in a lot of blanket statements. But if we're making those types of blanket statements, I'd say businesses often struggle because They're thinking in terms of a subject matter expert, or I need certain technical skills, or I need certain results, and you want to go to people that have that background. It's that person that says, I need you to have that that experience. But what they don't understand is the connection of results with communication and leadership. I don't know if your listeners are familiar with Toastmasters International, but it's a group of over 300,000 people worldwide looking to improve their communication skills and leadership skills, and I'm living proof. After almost 20 years of this up-and-down roller coaster career, I joined Toastmasters, and, and I found confidence I didn't even know I had. And that confidence, after being told for, for those 20 years I couldn't communicate, I realized it wasn't my communication skills. It was my ability to communicate, and that came through confidence. And that confidence led to promotion. It led to me writing the books. It led to me starting my own company. It led even how to communicate more effectively on a personal basis with my kids, with my family. You know, in today's professional environment, it is too often me, 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 what's in it for me, 
look at me, let me post about me, let me post to what I had for dinner last night. But it's actually starting to be research to find how insecure people are on social media or how, and they're probably doing the same thing at work with, I'm the one sending the emails at maybe 1 a.m. so people can see I'm up at night. Hey, look at the things that I'm doing. But what we've all forgotten about in all of this is how to build relationships, which comes with the ability to have a real-life conversation. And when I was hired for my most recent full-time job at risk management, I didn't know a whole lot about risk management. But I could speak the language. I, I had this willingness to learn. And the hiring manager said to me, I know you can learn the business, but I'm hiring you as a relationship builder. I need someone who can connect the dots, who can earn the trust and respect of the people we're working with, someone who can ask questions professionally and be curious, build the relationships, you'll learn the rest of the business. And that's exactly how it played out. In my first full year on the job, I was selected in the top 1% of the company for my performance. And it's not about who has the most connections, the most friends on Facebook or Twitter. It's about who has the most useful connections and how to relate to them. So back to the point on what are businesses, what should they look for in communication? Look for people who can not only put two sentences together, but can build true relationships. And they're not the ones who are pressing people's butt and forcing communication. They're the ones who are actually listening the most and can build the trust and earn that respect. And you'll find that, that people can learn on the job. And what they'll do is they'll end up uh, building a ton of success around. Well, I mean, we, we've talked about this on the show before. This is hiring for potential instead of hiring for experience. Uh, somebody yeah, who's... And if you could get both, that'd be great. Right, absolutely. <laughs> but, you know, you, it, it's the kind of intuitive thing to be like, well, I need a very experienced salesperson, so let's go find someone who's got 20 years of selling this product, Right. And sometimes you can't afford them. Sometimes they're not available. Sometimes it's not the right fit culturally, whatever. But you can hire someone with that potential who, who can figure that out, who maybe is a good salesperson that can fill that role and, and do those things. So there's so many other ways to look at this equation sometimes. And it sounds like that's what somebody did with you. Is that they wanted someone who had uh, one skill set, but they figured out you, you'd get the experience part down over time. Uh, it was the other intangibles that were really important to them in that role. Yeah, you, you don't want to surround yourself with like people, people who have been in the sales role for 20 years, or you could get caught yourself and you'll get caught up in a rut. What you want to do is actually diversify in your workplace, and I'm sure you've talked about that many times, is get people in who can ask the questions that have never been asked, and you'll find that your business will start to move forward quicker. Right, absolutely. Well, I, you know, I, I think when looking at your, your background, one of the things that you talk about uh, with those that you work with kind of revolves around time management. Are there, are there certain things that you really look at uh, to help people break through, you know, and have that kind of overall success as it relates to, to dealing with being effective in that area? Yeah, we, we can talk for hours about this, but there are so many different things that you can think about. Uh, I talked to somebody the other day about their email and they said no I don't, I don't want to show you my email I said just go ahead and share the screen with me there were 18,000 emails in there and think about that 18,000 some were read some were not some had some deadlines that were probably missed I don't know you have to think in terms of strategy and you have to think in terms of themes what really has to be done we often talk in terms of hours and minutes of the day, but in reality, think in terms of strategy. Stop managing every second of every day and think strategically. Manage your tasks. What has to be done today? What is the absolute lowest denominator, least amount of work you can do with a day and walk out of the door and say, I succeeded today? That's your starting point. Everything else after that, you're adding value to your day. So if you have this very short list instead of this long list to work from, you can concentrate on the right priority. And every single day, here's the strategy I'll tell you, and it's the simplest thing, is every day at 5 o'clock, see what you have coming up for tomorrow. 5 o'clock every Friday, see what you have coming up for the next week. 5 o'clock on the 26th of every month, not the 30th. See what you have coming up for the next month and quarter. And you'll be shocked how much, how that five-minute exercise will get you to lay out the rest of your day 
the rest of your weeks and months strategically because now you're concentrating on the things that can be done. And I like to call this the pull versus the push. If you're doing the least amount of work you can do in a day and still walk out of here satisfied, you learn to pull in other items from these future days and weeks out versus taking a long list and saying, oh, gee, I didn't get the four of those and push them to the following day. When you're constantly pushing, you're probably in trouble and there's a red flag out there. You have to build in time for the unexpected. If you're building an eight-hour day and and every minute of those eight hours is accounted for, I make very few promises in the world, but one of those promises is you won't get everything done. A phone call is going to come in and something's going to grab your attention and you're going to have to deal with it. Well, you build in time for the unexpected. So you block off, whether it's an hour, two, or three on your calendar, block it off to go through your emails, to go through phone calls, to do those little things to actually get your work done uh, instead of having all meetings. Those blocks can then be flexible enough to move throughout your day. And now you're thinking conceptually and you're thinking strategically and not just thinking about every second of every day. Now, I, I like to schedule a lunch. I, there are very few days that I don't take a, at least a half hour to an hour lunch. You want to refresh your brain. Don't schedule long meetings. Anything over 90 minutes is not going to be productive. So think in terms of short spurts or at least get up, grab some water, read an article, get your mind thinking about something else. And, and I have so many of these little tips, but I also tell you commit to start now. Now, how many times have you begun, if you started this radio program, just a couple minutes late, ah, that's not a big deal. Yes, it is. Your listeners were tuned in somewhere else. If you're on a conference call, if it starts at 10 a.m., start it at 10 a.m. If everyone comes in late, you know what? You can catch them up later. Um, you have to be respectful of people who got there on time. And when you're starting to creep up towards the end of that time, you only have one of two choices. Either move what you're about to drive into, or stop what you're doing and set it up as a follow-up time to work on it. And those, the, the follow-up is probably the most important thing I can talk about. That's the time you actually do your work, and you should use your calendar to put those follow-up, whether it's something that you've asked of someone else or someone has asked of you. I like to call them my follow-up appointment, um, and they're all throughout my calendar. That's the time I'm actually getting work done, and it's blocked off to actually do it. What you've talked about here is um, we sometimes look at, you know, if you can write out a list of things you need to do, go back and categorize those things, um, ABC, you know, rock stones and and pebbles. And there's different ways to to visualize that. And if you focus on those A tasks um, strategically, that's how you can be more effective. Of course, Bs are going to sink in and there's going to be some Cs. But I think what we, especially those of us who are procrastinators and have a little bit of ADD, um, we like to do the C's and a little bit of B because then you feel like you did something and you accomplished something and your day wasn't a complete waste. But we all have that guilt then a few days later that we still have those big strategic tasks that are really the most important just sitting there and we haven't touched them because we've wasted time with this other junk that you know maybe didn't need to be done. Yeah, and a good example of that is uh, my daughter had a soccer game today, and it was a playoff game, so it wasn't on my normal schedule. And she knew about it a couple days ago. But by knowing my schedule far ahead of time and preparing for it, I knew I could leave the office for that hour and a half. And by leaving the hour and a half, I'm able to balance work and life. My boss knows I'm going to get to the work that was there. I prioritize the, the things that had to be done today before I walked out to go to that game. And we were able to do everything. People who don't succeed when it comes to time management are a lot of blame. There's a lot of blame going around. It's my boss or I'm too busy. You have, your listeners have so much more control of their lives than they think. And when you take control of your time management and control the things that you can, there's so much more you can get done because you let the little things go away. You're not worried about them. You're worried about those big things, those those rocks, those A priorities, everything else is just its just gravy on top of it all. Right, right. Well, we're almost out of time here. I want to make sure we ask you, uh, is there a book that you're reading right now you might share with the audience? Yeah, there's a book out there. It's called Speaker Leader Champion, Succeed at Work Through the Power of Public Speaking. And it's by Ryan Avery. He's a former world champion of public speaking. 
and I'm about halfway through it right now. One of the things I love about it is it, it frames up the message to make the most impact by preparing your words and, and using less words to have a greater impact. It really frames up how important it is to be prepared going into a conversation, even an elevator speech, even those chance meetings you have with someone in the hall is being prepared for those types of conversations. Because communication leads to, there's a direct correlation between communication and success. And when you learn to frame your message in such a way, uh, you're going to find your success just skyrocket in the business world. I'm excited to see how it ends. Well, how can people uh, reach you if they're interested in learning more and uh, maybe having your company help them? What's the best way to do that? Yeah, they can get a hold of me at my email, tomdowd at roadrunner.com. They can go on my website, transformationtom.com. They can find me on LinkedIn under Thomas D. Dow, under Twitter under at tomdowd4. They can find me on Facebook under my business name, Thomas Dowd, Professional Development and Coaching. As I mentioned earlier, uh, I do have books available on Amazon and on my website uh, at pretty significantly discounted rates for a short period of time. So you know, feel free to look me up. I'll be glad to uh, help you out in the coaching side, speaking side, or uh, pick up a book. Well, Thomas, really appreciate you joining us on the show today, and we look forward to getting an update from you at some point. Well, have a great day. Thank you so much for having me. All right, thank you. Up next is uh, Janet Pfeiffer, who will join me after this quick commercial break. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. As a reminder, if you have a guest, uh, excuse me, if you have a question for my next guest, uh, you can send it over via Twitter. Uh, just do at PeopleG2, and then uh, at the end of your question, put in that hashtag, Talent Talk. Uh, you can also visit TalentTalkRadio.com, uh, get the iHeartRadio app, the uh, podcast app on uh, your Apple device. Lots of great ways to check out past shows or listen to this show over and over and over again if there's just so much you can't, uh, can't get enough in one, one setting. But really appreciate everyone's support uh, and downloading all the shows and all the great feedback. Don't forget, you can also send us guest suggestions, questions, suggestions, topics, anything like that. Yeah, interact with us uh, there through Twitter. Uh, you could probably go on Facebook and do it, too, and we'd probably answer you. So, uh, But let's go ahead and get to my next guest, uh, Janet Pfeiffer. She's the president and CEO of uh, Pfeiffer Power Seminars. Um, so, Janet, welcome to the show. Hi, Chris. It's so nice to be here with you. Yeah, and it's good to, to hear your voice again. Uh, tell everyone a little bit about yourself and what you're currently doing with your company. Well, my company is Pfeiffer Power Seminars, and I've been providing lectures, workshops, and training sessions for more than 20 years to uh, companies of all different sizes, from medium-sized businesses all the way up to Fortune 500 companies. And currently, I'm still doing that, but I have now expanded my business to uh, doing spiritual life coaching, and I also host two radio shows as well. 
Well, I know one of those radio shows that uh, I was uh, had a pleasure of being a guest on is Anger 911. So yes. c- can you share a little bit about the premise of that show? Well, that really is where I started out, um, you know, doing my work more than 20 years ago. It was really helping people to understand anger, learning how to express it effectively, learning how to heal it. Um, I don't teach people how to control their anger. I, I believe that it's something that you can actually heal from, which is a much healthier way of dealing with it. And so when I had the opportunity to have my own radio show, I thought that this is a great subject matter because it's something that really applies to all of us, whether it's our own anger or whether we're dealing with somebody else who's angry. So it's to educate people about what anger really is because most people don't understand what lies beneath the anger and then how to uh, manage it effectively and ultimately how to heal it and find that place of inner peace and serenity, which is really key to our health and happiness. Well, isn't it interesting how people generally view anger as just something, well, you just shouldn't do it or it just shouldn't happen, um, as if it's, you know, the the actual event. It's really the the result of something else. It's the, rea- you know, the sort of the, uh, the cause and the effect of whatever's the actual cause. And yet we, right. we approach it the opposite way. I always find yeah, that fascinating. And a lot of people think that, that anger is bad, but it's a very necessary, very healthy and useful emotion. It's what you choose to do with it that determines whether or not it's going to benefit you or create additional problems in your life. So it's not the anger itself that is bad. It's, it's how you manage it. And right. it can you, be a very effective tool for bringing about positive change in your life i mean you, you see someone attack somebody else for no reason on the street you're going to get angry and that that's a perfectly you should get angry about that and that you should do something about that but if somebody doesn't like your idea in a business meeting and you get angry that's a different thing and you need to figure out why that is and what's causing that and because it can be a real problem in in different settings so yeah you're right there's Sort of eliminating anger as a uh, an absolute isn't realistic, nor is it probably healthy. But uh, focusing on what's where is it causing you problems and how is it helping you be effective is, is probably uh, the better way to look at it. Right. Well, all emotions are just messengers, and so once you understand why they show up in your life, then you know what you're supposed to be doing with them. Yeah. So um, that's that's something that I really cover a lot of in my show as well. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. I, I suddenly had a, a vision of a. These different little cupids firing arrows at me, and you know, with different emotions. But I don't know if that's what you meant. But that was that was what popped in my head. So, <laughs> but I love that visual. But yeah. you know what? I think it's it's a good way to kind of illustrate really what our emotions are. They just they just teach us something about ourselves. And once we understand that, then we know what we're supposed to do with them once they show up. And sometimes they're, you know, they, they just show up to give us that message and then they're gone. And other times we're supposed to take it a step further. So, but once people understand that, then they don't have to be afraid to get angry anymore because they, they understand that it, it's, it's here for a reason. Right. Absolutely. So I know your trainings, you, you started to talk about that you're providing, um, they were kind of running the gamut. You said Fortune 500 companies, mid-sized companies, churches. You've worked with all different types of organizations. So obviously each of them come with their own unique set of challenges or um, or things they're looking for. So what what type of group is your favorite to work with? Well, I, I like to work with the most challenging groups, um, people that or companies that really are facing some serious issues whether there's workplace violence or bullying going on or just uh, employees that aren't getting along well with each other. The, the bigger the challenge, the more I enjoy it because ultimately I have the skills that I can teach them where they can learn how to get along properly and be more effective on the job. And they can take those same skills then and use them at home as well. My, my favorite topics, I love talking about anger management and conflict resolution, again, because those are skills that we all need um, to be adept at in every aspect of our life. But ultimately, my goal, regardless of what I'm talking about, is to bring people to that place where they are so at peace that they know how to calmly resolve those differences or those challenges that show up in their life. And then this way, you know, they, they don't have, they, they're not damaging their health, they're not damaging their relationships, and yet they're effective in learning how to deal with one another. 
So when you've been in some of these situations and you're working with these companies and these really tough, you know, scenarios, have you had ones uh, where it was really threatening to tear apart the culture of, of the company? I've had them where, yes, not not to an extreme extent, but where it's been challenging enough that it's causing difficulty for the people that are working there. And most of the time what I find is that it's really a clash of personalities. You know, um, it's, it's difficult getting along with a large group of people because everybody has different personal issues. They all have different ways of doing things, different belief systems. They communicate on very different levels. And so that creates a lot of stress in the work environment, and people become, uh, they become stressed out, they become very defensive, and that can cause a breakdown within the culture itself. And so what I do is I help people to gain a better understanding of all of that. And again, just giving them sometimes a few simple skills can make a world of difference. Well, and that can make a huge difference. And if we look at you know, a company culture that's being damaged, and it really kind of depends on what is that damage? Is it a paper cut? I mean, a paper cut doesn't mm-hmm. stop you from walking or running or, you know, eating or anything like that. But if you, if you break your ankle and you're on crutches, you're not affecting all the rest of your body. So, you know, if, if there are particular areas in a company that are really hurting, uh, maybe it's because of that conflict resolution, maybe because it's the anger, maybe because it's lack of communication, Uh, Maybe have some really, you know, the wrong people in the wrong, you know, positions that really don't aren't aren't doing the company any good. They really have such a huge impact on the rest of the company. Can really make things harder than they have to be, and you can end up losing really great people because of that. Have you have you seen those types of scenarios in the work that you've done? I have, and I I've seen cases where. Um, one, one of the biggest challenges that I find when I go on to a job site is that people feel devalued. They feel as though they're, they're really putting their heart and soul into everything that they're doing. They're not getting acknowledged for their work. They're not, uh, they're not getting recognized for what they're doing. And very often they're getting criticized or just completely overlooked. And so they become very disheartened, very disillusioned, and then they underperform or they become sloppy. And they just kind of lose that incentive for really doing a good job. And then, of course, that just escalates because then they find themselves in even greater trouble. So very often there's a breakdown between management and the workers that, you know, some of these companies are so big that there there's nothing personalized about going to work. It's that you just become a um, almost like a robot, that you are there to do nothing but produce for the company. And those in those kinds of environments, it, they're never successful. You have employees that are very disgruntled, that are very disillusioned with their job, and it creates a whole host of problems. So one of the things that I do is to try to bring back more of a human connection, that it's so important, because the number one complaint that I get from people, whether it's on the job or even in their personal lives, is that they don't feel valued. When people feel as though others truly appreciate what they're doing, even if it's just their efforts, even if they're not getting the exact results that they had hoped for, when people feel that it at least they're appreciated for what they do. They'll work 10 times harder for you. But when that is lacking, then they lose the enthusiasm to keep Mm. producing. And the bottom line, that's going to affect the company's production and their, you know, their, um, their end product. Right. So uh, is there, is there maybe like one thing you might, or maybe two, we'll, we'll expand a little bit, but you know, what are some of those real key things that companies really need to focus in on if they don't want to have sort of this unrepairable damage and what are the what are the causes uh, before they get to the anger before they have all these problems are there a couple things they can really focus on to, to really help them avoid those you know problems later on well i think one of the things that that companies really need to focus on is really being able to identify and appreciate the unique talent 
importance of each one of their workers, and not just management appreciating what their workers are doing. I mean, within each department, it really helps for people to get to know one another, not just as a co-worker, but on a more personal level. One of the companies that I worked with as a consultant for about 15 years was was quite a large organization. It was a multi-million dollar company. And one of the things that I did in order to be effective working with them was I went around to every employee and I got to know them on a personal level. It wasn't just about, okay, what do you do here and what are the problems that you're dealing with. I wanted to know who I was working with. And so that made me much more effective in being able to kind of bring people together. When you know a little bit, and I'm not talking about divulging really personal information about yourself, but when you know more about who a person is, what are their values, what matters to them, what brings them joy, what are their, what are some of the things that they struggle with in life, then you bring that human quality back to the workplace, and that helps to bond people together because they realize that they have more in common than what they may have understood previously. So finding common ground is really big for establishing a healthy culture, and that allows people to really develop that sense of respect and admiration for one another, which is really key. When I can look at my coworkers and say, all right, well, we have two different ways of looking at things, but I really respect your work ethic, or I respect the way you treat other people, or I respect the quality of your work. Um, just showing that kind of respect towards one another really builds a good atmosphere because people feel valued and they feel safe within, you know, the context of their job. So those are some of the things um, that really help companies to build a really healthy work environment. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, when people can have that, that you said, the common ground that allows the beginning is the real the base there. Uh, of getting to know each other and, and, and feeling somewhat connected. And then, you know, and, and kind of right in line here with some of the things that you, you do talk about on a regular basis, you really look, that's really looking at making employees work better with each other, making them better themselves. Um, and then you can kind of sort of moving into how do you make leaders uh, become better, you know, from a leadership development standpoint. Um, so are, are there things that companies really need to be looking for to do right if, if they want to have strong leaders that they've, they've developed internally as opposed to just, you know, hiring from, from the outside and bringing in somebody new uh, from a real development standpoint. Do you have some thoughts there as well? Yeah, I think it's, you know, if, if I, I really think it's, you know, when you're trying to look for people who have good leadership qualities, I think it's not just about what, you know, what their qualifications are in terms of, you know, they're business savvy, but you need to look at people who are very compassionate. I think compassion makes for a great leader because people will follow someone who truly understands human nature and really cares about the feelings and well-being of the people that they're working with. Somebody who's open-minded and fair, somebody who who's unbiased in their approach towards people, who, who doesn't show favoritism, who really embraces all the uniqueness of everybody that they're working with. And I think somebody, too, that is very unpretentious. You know, a lot of times what happens is we get leaders who, you know, uh, well, you know, I'm the boss, I'm the one in charge, you will do what I say. And that doesn't work well. But if you have a leader who says, look, I may be in charge of all of this, but your input is vitally important to me and I take seriously what everybody has to say, then again, people feel as though they have something invested in the company, you know, that, that, that their leader is going to actually listen to what they have to say and take that into consideration. And somebody who really has a, a generous heart and somebody who really is appreciative, again, of, of the contributions that each of the employees is making is, I think, just vitally important. Someone who's not afraid to get in there and say, you know what, tell me what you're struggling with. Let me see what I can do to make this better for you or how I can help you or maybe you need some additional help. And I really, you know, appreciate everything that you've done for this company. I know it's been difficult for you. I know you put in long hours, but you are a highly valued employee. So someone who really has that that human quality that workers feel that they can really connect with, that 
uh, that shows that that person really cares about them as an individual and not just as a means to a profitable end. Well, and, and looking at you as an individual here, I, I, you know, if we might ask someone to describe you, um, coach might be one, speaker might be another, radio show host might be another one. But I, when I kind of look at you, I think the title that I would have would be more entrepreneur. You've done a lot of different things, had a lot of different ventures and success. So what is it about being an entrepreneur that you love? Oh, gosh, <laughs> what don't I love? <laughs> <laughs> I, I love everything about being an entrepreneur. I, You know, I'm a very creative person, and I could never work for someone who maybe pigeonholed me into a certain position and wouldn't allow me to use my creativity to do what I really feel that I have to do with this world, uh, in this world. So I have the ability to fully utilize all of my talents. There are no restrictions that are placed upon me. And I, I really feel that I work for God. All of the work that I do ultimately is for His glory. And so I have complete freedom. I can create in whatever, uh, in whatever capacity that I choose. I love being able to put in the kind of hours that I want, although that can work against me sometimes. Oh, yeah. I, I do tend to be a bit of a workaholic, and and it's it's bad when your office is in your home because then it's so convenient to always be in front of the computer and doing something. But on the plus side, it just gives me the freedom to be able to do what I feel I was put here on this earth to do with no restrictions at all. Yeah, it's funny how entrepreneurs you know, will say, I can leave when I want to leave. I can go on vacation when I go on vacation. And then, but you say, but I haven't. You know, I'm, yeah, I, we worked the last seven days straight, and I really should take that vacation I'm allowed to take whenever I want. Yeah. Well, you know, when people keep telling me, "Well, you should go take a vacation," I go, "Are you kidding me? Who's going to come do all the work for me while I'm gone? Because yeah. when I come home, I'm going to come home to two thousand emails in my inbox, a pile of paperwork that nobody's even looked at. So there's there's definitely a downside to being your own boss. That's Although sure. you, you could you could answer those emails in the Bahamas, I mean you know you'd be, I could, but then yeah. it's not a vacation. <laughs> yeah, but at least it's a you know it's it, it, it's a compromise, I guess. You know. <laughs> I know, I know what you're saying, Chris. And I really <laughs> ought to consider it, but uh, it's easier to ignore the emails when you're in the Bahamas. It, I, I do notice that. You're right. It's not quite a vacation or completely broken, but from it all. But it is easier to suddenly say, oh, "I'll get to it later" when when you're sitting there in your office. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, from a you know personal standpoint, I'm wondering if you think back and you know your own. Uh, personal leadership development was there someone or some event or something that happened that you really think had a, a big impact on on who you are today yeah well actually you know my, my career path completely changed in 1994 and about two years prior to that um, I had written a short story, and I had a completely different business, nowhere even related to what I'm doing now. But I had, just for the fun of it, written a short story and gone to a writer's workshop, and there was a gentleman there who critiqued my work. He used to be a writer for Jackie Gleason and some of the big names in uh, show business many years ago. And he told me that he loved the story and that I should get it published. And it was a few years uh, before I actually acted on that, but that really changed the course of my whole life because as a result of getting my very first book published, which was a children's book, in 1994, I went into an elementary school as an author to do an author visit, and while I was there, I started talking to these second and third graders about anger and, you know, how does it feel when you get angry because the main character of my book was angry. And, um, and the principal of the school asked me, he said, boy, he said, you were really great. He said, do you have a workshop that you could do for my staff on anger management? And I said, sure, of course I do. Right. <laughs> and I didn't, but interestingly enough, I had just gotten out of a domestic violence relationship and had spent months and months in an anger management group learning about anger, and everything just came together at the right time, and that really completely redirected the course of my professional life, and that was over 20 years ago. So you never know how one person comes into your life for a matter of minutes and totally changes who you are and what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, other people can have such an impact, whether it's a moment in time or as a mentor or a parent, whatever it may be, and 
it's really up to us to seize that moment and make make as much of it as we can. Oh yeah. You know, it's yep. it's, it's kind of like when the table's hot in Vegas, you got to bet. You know, you you got to go for it and. Uh, Absolutely. Sometimes you have to seize the moment. Right. right? <laughs> and sometimes people don't. They get afraid. They they hold back, and then they wish they had. But yeah, if you feel like one of those moments are coming on, that's that's what entrepreneurs do. They they take that jump, and it doesn't always work. There's not always uh, the outcome they want, but uh, certainly isn't the regret for not trying. Right. And I'm and as of that moment, I made the decision. And I told God, I said, if you open any door, I promise I will go through it, even if I don't know where I'm going. And I've, I've kept that promise. And it, it's been an amazing way to do business. Because you're right, it doesn't always work out the way you have planned, but sometimes it leads to something even better. Well, uh, Janet, really appreciate you being on the show today. I uh, loved uh, kind of continuing our conversation. It was a little bit different than what you and I talked about. but Yeah, well, um, Chris, it was such a delight to talk with you again. So thank you so much for having me on as your guest. Well, I really appreciate you being here, and hopefully we can have you come back and uh, give us an update to, with all the, the new and great things you're doing with all those emails and paperwork you're, you're, you're responding to right now. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Absolutely. but thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure, Chris. You take care. All right. Be sure to tune in uh, next Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Uh, my guests will include a Jonathan Seats. Probably saying that wrong. That would be my standard MO. President of uh, Bellwether Training, LLC, uh, Crestcom, and uh, Mike Fingato, CEO, CEO oh, excuse me, co-founder and CEO at uh, uh, Modo. So until then, uh, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Sound Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2.